This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Stop calling us podcasters. What? Is, okay, what are we doing right well, now? Well, yeah, we have a podcast, but I am not ready to start identifying <laughs> as a podcaster. I'm sorry. Like, I just... It even took me a while to identify as a comedian. What What would you call yourself before that? I just did stand-up. What does but that I, even mean? I don't, you know, I don't know. It, it's embarrassing. I feel like embarrassed sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it is embarrassing. We yeah, gotta, so I would just say like I do up. You gotta own up. up to what you're doing though, you know? Well, it felt cool before I moved here, you know? When what, I was like to do comedy? Yeah, when I was, because I, you know, I was like hot shit in Providence coming into New York every few months to do a show. Mm. So then I was a stand-up comedian, but then I moved here and now I'm like, yeah, covers my that, face. That is something that um, I you you have to wait to announce at a party. You know, when someone's like, "What do you yeah. do?" <laughs> I like really dance. I'm around so FYI, I'm so sick of people asking me at parties now about the podcast. I'm like, I don't want to talk about work. That's how <laughs> I feel not now. Work. <laughs> it is work. What do you call this? You know, we put a lot of work into this podcast. We do, but I mean, as far as we're not getting paid, but we are getting paid. Well, we are getting paid, but not a lot. But not a lot. <laughs> Mistakes. Ow. Anyway, I'm on your vaults. <laughs> and I'm Anna Kotrion. I'm Dasha, whatever her name is. I'm Nika Lamato. We just always we never really introduce ourselves on this anymore. But also we like call each other our names. You know, like oh, I'm like Nika true. and you're like Anya. So I feel like people can figure it out. Yeah, but we have distinctly different voices. Yeah. But if we if it's the first episode someone's listening no, to, no, no. that means nothing. True. You true. know, true, 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 true. Um, so I'm just trying to. I'm Anya Voltz. <laughs> Don't you fucking dare. <laughs> um, if you're wondering which one has the nasally voice and it's a sharp inhale, it's both of us. No, I know. I'm kidding. Yeah. That was the punchline, Nika. Thank oh, you. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin your joke. <laughs> Can't wait to go to open mics together. Oh, God. I just realized me and Anya have a lot of firsts that we're going to get to experience, even though our friendship won't be as new when this is over. First time going to a club. First yeah, we've time never gone clubbing together. We've together. never done an open mic together. We've done one comedy show together. Yeah. And, and it was mine. Just, it was yours. We had just met. So I wasn't really myself. And I was very high. Yeah. I also missed your set. <laughs> nice. It wasn't my fault. I was like, this girl is never going to book me again. Uh, <laughs> she definitely knows. I was like, that's why she didn't record my set and put it on Instagram. Did I not? <laughs> no, but you apologized for it immediately. Oh, yeah. You were like, by the way, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. Like, I didn't intentionally not film it, just so you know. I was like, thank God. <laughs> I was like, I thought it's because I was smoking a cigarette on the roof. No, no, no. Like, yeah, at my old show, I used to just put little, like, gifts of yeah. each performer up on my story, and I forgot to do it with people occasionally. I guess you were one of them. My I apologies. Was. It was okay. Um, But yeah, we did that show together. It was before you lived in New York. It was the it first was. time we'd ever met. Yeah. We went out. Well, we went out together after that, not clubbing. Yeah, we went to, like, some <laughs> dumb bar, and I think I was... Do I don't We went, what, somewhere in Ridgewood? Yeah, we went somewhere in Ridgewood, Aunt Jenny's or something. You were not drinking at the time. I was not drinking at the time, so I was really boring. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And then 
when you moved to New York is when we were like, we're going to hang out. And then um, the pandemic happened. And then when it started to be a situation where people could see each other outdoors and like, you know, only a couple of people at a time. First time hanging out was literally at a riot. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But I mean, so yeah, we went to a few (laughs) protests together. One of them was truly an absolute Absolute. nightmare situation. Absolutely. Like, I'm not kidding when I say it was a riot. (laughs) I literally like kicked over a trash can that was on fire to like get across the fucking street. Yeah, there were a lot of fires. Um I got multiple multi yeah, multiple <laughs> cop cars were just ablaze. Yeah. Which was fun to see, but also was like scary because then they really came out with full force. Yeah. Um bricks were being thrown at the cops, but then bouncing off of their helmets and then back onto the protesters. Yeah, onto me. Which was someone fun. literally I remember that someone threw a rock so like a big rock so hard at a cop but it missed and hit me on the back of the head yeah they were like sorry i was like i don't know how that even hit me i'm five three but (laughs) that was towards the very beginning of the protests in new york i will say that that was the only one that i would describe as not peaceful yeah that i well on our on the protesters side quote unquote and i i do wonder if there were like instigators there because it was it felt Mm. very like Every time I saw something being thrown, it didn't really seem like it was coming from anybody that was actually in the cohesive yeah, group. It, it was. It was like, a lot of like white crust punks. It was also just stragglers, people that yeah. were walking by and were excited by the energy. It yeah. felt like that wanted to be like, yeah, fuck the police. But they weren't actually part of like the organized, like the, the organized is what I almost said. The organized. <laughs> the organized <laughs> like group that we're trying to demonstrate, you know, because yeah. up until that point, it was peaceful and chill but then some fire went off yeah the cops intentionally left a cop car unattended yeah that was before any of us by any of us i mean probably like white people knew that that was even a thing yeah that they were leaving like uh, you know just oh here's this empty they're NYPD van. us yeah. to get us here's to a do paddy something. wagon no one's Basically, in it they were like yeah there's a cop car that's completely unattended on the protester side yeah. of this barrier between Have cops fun. and protesters <laughs> Like, you guys do whatever you want with that, and then that will be our justification to mace the fuck out of you. Yeah. Um. So it was very... Th- that was fucked up. But I will say, I think the majority... Like, the people that I saw that were actually part of the protests were being peaceful. So as far as the bricks being thrown... I don't know. I can't say for sure. I mean, it was cathartic for sure to see cops having bricks thrown at them, but it definitely didn't feel like it was coming from the group. No, it never is. No. I mean, that Um, was my experience for the rest of the summer. It never is. It's always white. It's like always, you know, our fellow whites. And it was also, I think there was like this pent up energy of people had been locked up for a few months. absolutely. There was like a lot of factors that contributed to that day being... What it turned out to be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then you and I took an Uber home together after that. And we were like, whoa, that I was did. weird. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, that feels like such a like that apartment that I was living in feels like such a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it's weird because, you know, I mean, it was it's almost uh, well, not since I moved out, but since I signed my lease, it's almost a year. That was a February 1st lease. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And uh, here we are. It feels like, I mean, we've been through a lot together as friends, even <laughs> though we have truly our friendship is kind of younger than a year. Yeah. We've known each other for longer, but yeah. our friendship. Um, and it's just, it's interesting. Uh, COVID has really changed 
the acceleration of things. I'll you say know? our one year friend friend anniversary will the the date would be when we hung out when I went with you to Vermont for the first time. You think so? That's our. Well, we were already friends, but that that week for those two weeks for me was when I was like, okay, now we're best friends. Like yeah, now yeah, I yeah, truly yes. feel, yeah. I feel the you know, same we way. had our little like nightly walks and talks. We tripped together for the first. Yeah. If I haven't tripped with someone <laughs> until I've tripped with you, I truly don't consider you a close friend <laughs> or like a best. I'll consider you a close friend, but a best friend. Yeah. Um, unless you're sober, obviously. Um, because they're like, that's when you really see each other, I think, because yeah. you become so perceptive. Mm-hmm. And if you can like be around someone on psychedelics and not feel anxious about how you're acting, mm-hmm. then I think, I think it's a, a done deal of being best friends. Yeah. Yeah. So we spent like a few weeks in Vermont together this summer for the listeners. My mom has, um, her house, which she mostly doesn't live in. You're going to talk about your mom's second home. (laughs) No, no, no. She has a partner that has his own house. And so she mostly lives in that house, but she just like still has her house. And so that's how we were able to go to Vermont and like not spread anything to Vermonters. We like were firmly in her house and then got tested before we like, I don't know. Before we got sat. there and when we were there. Yeah, 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 yeah. We got tested twice. But I was going to say before we like did anything, but we barely even interacted with the public. But I guess yeah. we like went to the grocery store. Went to the grocery store. And like, I think our most interacting with the public was probably the Dunkin' Donuts drive through we went to every day <laughs> with our uh, with our pals that were with us. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, my God. That was such a it, it was like it feels like a little like bottled up, like separate a bottle Lifetime. episode of our lives. Yeah, yeah. It was like a very, it was a bottle episode of our lives. But we had our little like life that we had there we for did. a couple of weeks. So it was, it was very really cute. cute. We had our little walks. We got caught in the rain getting Chinese food. Do you remember oh, that? Oh, we did get caught in the rain. <laughs> well, that was the night that I, I think that was the night that we had our, yeah, that was the night that we had our first convo of where I like called you my best friend or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, this bitch better say it back. <laughs> say it back. <laughs> yeah, it's because, well, uh, Gabby Bryan um, and Zach Senor. Senor? I can never pronounce it. Senor, his, I think. Because it's pronounce, Spanish, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the Unabashed Podcast. We love you guys. Hosts were, were with us. <laughs> um, and they are best friends. Yeah. And you and I were kind of like witnessing their best friendship for a few days in a row. Yeah. And then like we had a little conversation. Where we're like, are you my best friend? <laughs> It was fun. Them leaving gave me an emotional hangover for two days just from witnessing their friendship. Yeah. They left and I was like, I need to go back to New York. I'm so sad. I like was crying like quietly outside while you were on the computer. Mm. And then I was like, oh, no, I'm just having an emotional hangover because I'm crazy. Well, they're also a lot to be around in a good way. But yeah. They're a, um, Every time I meet new a friends. They're a force, you know? Yeah. Anytime I meet new friends that I love and feel like I click with, I get sad when they leave me. Yeah, totally. What a little idyllic moment that was. So anyway, that's a brief synopsis of Nika's and my friendship, if anyone's wondering, which I feel like they are. I feel yeah. like anytime podcasts have like a Q&A episode, one of the first questions is like, how did you guys become friends? So we answered it. <laughs> there you go. Well, we actually we met through Elisa. We did. Our producer. Our producer slash your sister. Who I met at a, <laughs> who I met at a um, Christmas-ish party um, like three years ago or yeah, something. Yeah, Lisa, I remember she said, 
she is a fugly slut. Do not trust her. <laughs> this girl this is girl. the nastiest skank <laughs> bitch I've ever met. Do not trust her. I found Elisa's burn book and there was a picture of you in it. I was like, who is that? <laughs> And then you were like, I should become friends with her. And then Elisa's just been gritting her teeth ever since. <laughs> um, so let's do it. Mistakes, keepsakes, and hot takes. Um, do you want to go, go first? first? <laughs> uh, well, you have a hot take ready to fucking rumble. Right, Let can it I rip. do my hot take first then? Yeah. All right. So my hot take of the week was spurned by a Twitter discourse, but it's one that's like recurring constantly because as we all know, if you're active on Twitter and you were active on Tumblr in the 2010s, the exodus, the migration that happened has now caused an issue where 2010s Tumblr discourse is now being rehashed. <laughs> And on 2020's Twitter. Yeah. And it's like, ah! <laughs> um, but this like falls into the discourse and then also like what my own journey has been in the last like year as I have like reached the five year mark of coming out as trans and like the seven year mark is coming out as gay and just like, you know, a long fucking life is being out as queer in some capacity since I was like 13. Um, and it was uh, it was the bi discourse, which was like, you know, it's if you basically this like opinion that um if you if someone doesn't if you don't look visibly queer, if you don't seem visibly queer. And this was like mostly being directed at like bi women who primarily date men, then essentially you're like taking up space in the queer community, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my hot take is that I am so tired of and done with these like rules within the which first of all what the fuck is a queer community like <laughs> do i have like a dues paying we are also like, not a community no if, like if you zoom out we like don't like each other yeah but <laughs> which i guess is what a community is. i guess i don't fucking know but i i'm just like very over these rules and this like gatekeeping um just the gatekeeping. And like, I myself am guilty of uh, gatekeeping in the past when it comes to like, uh, who I deemed as being actually trans and not, you know, I used to do it. And for me, and which is why I know this is for most people, because I think it comes from the same place is that like, you put these rules within identity when you're not comfortable with yourself. And totally, so like, for yeah. me, I was not comfortable. I felt like I was doing a lot of fighting um, and I also didn't really understand what womanhood meant to me yet at that point in my life. So I would then lash out on other queers and be like, well, if you like you're not trans, if you didn't go through what I went through and I'm sick of, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry getting to be trans and non-binary, <laughs> which I don't obviously I don't feel that way now. And it's just like I was saying this to a friend, a friend who is bi. We were talking about it on Twitter and she had had a different perspective and was like, Oh, well, you know, I had retweeted that tweet in solidarity because I feel I felt and have been made to feel that as a queer cis woman who is engaged to a cis man, I'm taking up space within the queer community. But like, thank you for making me realize that I'm not yeah. by, like, having this convo with me. And it's like, first of all, no one is taking up space. Like, the only argument for taking up space in the queer community is, like, white queers taking up space from black and brown queers. That's the only convo I'll entertain. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of, like, 
you like, I don't, I, it, it's just, it's, it all feels so fucking juvenile to me. Like the idea that me as a primarily straight trans woman, like I am queer, but my queerness is really attached to my sense of, I was a faggot for most of my life. I still feel like I partly am one. And so my queerness is attached mostly to my identity and how I'm perceived, not my sexuality. So for me, it's like, I'm a straight trans woman who pretty much passes in society as being cis, So, like, does that mean that straight trans women are not queer because and we're taking up space because we date men? It's like, it just doesn't make sense to me. And I'm like, do you think fucking Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera and the street kids and the fucking (laughs) freaks and faggots that we're descended from were, like, discussing these semantics when they were fucking fighting cops for six days at Stonewall? I don't know. I'm like... The number of people that I have interacted with who have identified me as like a safe person to kind of have these conversations with because I, I at least I think because I don't participate in any of this gatekeeping rhetoric. Yeah. Like there's so many people that um, seem outwardly heterosexual that are actually queer and haven't been comfortable um, claiming that for themselves or exploring it because they see how they see like Twitter or Tumblr and they see the way that it's being talked about that it's taking up space if mm-hmm. you're bisexual and primarily in these quote unquote heterosexual relationships. Yeah. I felt the same way. Like I, the the majority and by majority, I mean like 10 fucking queers. Cause we have about 20 in my hometown. The majority of queers were like fucking clocky trans girls. And then like AFAB non-binary queers, like crest punk queers who like, did not like me because they felt I, they never said it, but I could tell that they felt that like I was taking up space by like straddling between two worlds. Cause I was often like the cis passing tranny with like a gaggle of cis girls. And then I would also go into the queer spaces and it would like make them feel like my queerness wasn't valid Mm -hmm. until I fucking shaved my head (laughs) and like started using they, them pronouns again And I was like, this is fucking stupid. Why? Because I'm like hot and femme and I mostly date guys. Like maybe I would fuck you guys if you weren't so goddamn judgmental (laughs) of how I fucking present in this world. Like, I don't know. Listen, I came out as bi when I was 14. No one's going to tell me that I am not queer enough. And also, where are we taking up space? It's fucking infinite amount of like. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's exposure or like platform wise is what they mean, which I can see. Like, it's it's just a matter of like, are we using our privileges of being whether it's cis passing or straight passing or pretty privilege or white privilege or whichever privileges it is that we have, which everything I just said, you and I have those privileges are we using them to like you know send the elevator back down and bring people with us yeah i mean but also i'm not i'm not like less inclined necessarily to like send the elevator back down to people who have been denying my fucking identity to my face for since the beginning of me coming out and being part quote unquote part of the community yeah i mean i also have a huge issue with the idea of you know passing a cis as even being a privilege and i like don't really engage in those conversations anymore with uh trans people who feel that way and like if you want to know how i feel go read any quote by janet mock but i mean i'll sum it up with one passing is so arbitrary because i can pass in one space and then five minutes later not pass in the other 
Two, I'm not actively trying to pass. And three, even if you are actively trying to pass, it all has to do with like trying to feel safe in a world that, you know, is going to brutalize you. Mm. But I just don't think that like any of that is a like, I don't know. I don't find any of that to be the same uh, to be a privilege. I think like maybe it's a little bit of a perk if you I, I can see how people would see it as a perk if they're longing to pass and they don't. But I don't know. I used to feel like it was um, a privilege and I needed to like talk about it more. But I I do as much I do a lot of work myself to send the elevator, quote unquote, back down with my limited, you know, kind of platform. Mm -hmm. And I always try to, you know, elevate voices of, you know, trans people who aren't being heard. Um, But I don't know the idea of passing privilege. I'm like. Find something else to harp on. I don't know if, you know, I have so many other privileges. I just don't consider that to be one of them. Yeah. I mean, I don't I I guess I can't really speak on that because it's not um, my wheelhouse or my experience. But I guess like the only argument about it that I've heard would just be like literal safety from strangers on the street. But do you not feel that that changes anything? For no, you? I, I honestly don't because I... Yeah, I get read as a woman when I'm walking around. Um, but I still like to this day, I still get like scared to like open my mouth. Like when I'm on a bus and I'm like and they miss my stop, I'll just keep riding it until the next stop because I like, you know, my voice I've internalized sounds very masculine. Mm. So it's like even things like that. Um, and I don't know, like. I just don't I think like safety is so uh, like subjective, like I'm not safe in all spaces Mm. and like I can't like again, like I, you know, it's been five years and I think I look pretty cunt, um, but I still have moments where I will get like surd or, Mm. you know, et cetera. So it's just like, I don't know. Yeah. No, I mean, I hear obviously you. I'm saying, yeah, I know I, I honor and validate and like accept that I am safer because I pass. I know that. And I would never say that I'm not safer because of that. But I just it's you're just not. I don't think it's a privilege to I don't think it's a privilege to uh, feel safe walking on the street like and I like I still am in danger because I'm a woman. So mm-hmm. it's like, sure, I'm not going to get murdered because I'm a trans woman, but like I am still afraid that I'm going to get raped and murdered because I'm a woman. Like it just, there are so many layers there. Um, I don't know, but I mean, I get it. Like that's why I had, I primarily had bottom surgery because I was scared of like, I was scared of that, of like being clocked as like a tranny on the street. And then like, someone trying to like assault me realizing I had a dick and then murdering me. Right. So I get it. But like that also was like an internalized thing in my own head because no one could, I I was as femme then as I am now. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I I guess like the, the privilege part is like, that's a loaded word because it's like, Oh, you have the privilege of, um, getting to like, quote unquote, like get away with. Yeah. Hide who you are. I am so sick of people fucking being resentful of hot girls. I'm like, <laughs> girl, get over it. Like, it's so, this has been a common theme lately. You know that. Yes. In being my hot life. is a state of mind, babe. Right? Just get 
on board. Get on board. Uh, yeah. I mean, I get it. I it identify as non-binary and almost Wait, never what? talk about it. Shut the fuck up. Oh, my God. Wait, what? <laughs> We're getting oh, you're a scoop. An, you're an NB? I'm a AFAB MB. Um, <laughs> no. no, I mean, yes, literally I am. But I like identify as non-binary and almost never talk about it for this very reason because um, I feel like there's this uh, I mean, and it's all in my own head, but it's in my head because of some people like confirming it, mm-hmm. but not everybody feels this way, but there's like an expectation to look a certain way, to use certain pronouns, yeah. to uh, participate in the discourse a certain way if you are non-binary, which I find very funny because it's a very binary way yeah. of looking at being non-binary. Um, but it's just like, I'm like, I get it. The majority of the world interacts with me as a woman. I use she, her pronouns. I never changed my name. I look pretty femme. Like I'm honestly not trying to encroach on anyone else's non-binary experience. And I know I'm not, but it's just like, it's so much, it's not worth my fucking, it's not worth having my own identity denied over and over again to my face to actively participate in that conversation anymore. So I just don't. And I just barely ever bring it up. And I think that actually does a lot of harm in the long run because people who feel the same way I do or people who might uh, be validated by the, my experience aren't hearing those experiences because so many of us, both non-binary and bisexual people, which I am both, are constantly being told that we're not like queer enough or non-binary enough to be like participating in the conversation. And, you know, I talk about womanhood a lot, like, cause part of my experience in this body and in this world is how people interact with me as a woman. And people are like, wait, but aren't you non-binary? And there's like all this explaining I have to do where I'm like, yes, I'm non-binary in terms of how I identify, but that isn't me saying Hey, by the way, I don't identify as like, quote unquote, a woman or quote unquote, a man doesn't make the person on the street that wants to assault me because I am a woman to them doesn't make me not a woman anymore in the world. Also, it doesn't matter because it's literally how you like I felt the same way when I was uh, before I transitioned, when I was actually IDing as non-binary and presenting as like, you know, a non-binary faggot. I felt the same way. I would always have conversations about like what my boyhood meant to me, like what being non-binary meant to me, what being femme meant to me. And a small part of why I transitioned, you know, quote unquote, all the way to being a binary trans woman was one, obviously, because I am a trans woman, but two, because I had the same experience where I was like, honestly, I'm tired of having to defend uh, my experience. Yeah, I'm tired of being misgendered. I'm tired of people making me feel like because I'm a faggot I'm like taking up space Mm. and I was like oh god turfs are gonna come for me with this episode (laughs) and I was like honestly I might as well like if if it's a Kinsey scale I was like a nine on the woman scale and a (laughs) you know nine and then like a one on the boy scale so I was like I might as well just go all the way because it's just not worth it and that's how I feel about womanhood in a lot of ways because I wonder how many like you know trans people and not you know it's just it's all fucking dumb and I think that Gender is so cool and fluid and can be whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. And sexuality is the same. And I don't think that the majority of people who are coming out are doing it to have clout or take up space. I think they're just doing it because they feel empowered. And I think that we should continue to empower people to yep. feel this way 
regardless of how they look or present or what space they might be taking up. Shut up. It's not like a country club. <laughs> like it's literally the majority of the like f- the fear I have about like how people are going to perceive me as a queer person is because of other queer people. Exactly. More than it is about like the heteronormative. Society. And it's stupid. And that's also because we live in the city. And honestly, there isn't a lot of like homophobia in New York City. Of course, there is. No, I know everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like. So obviously, I'm sure straight people would be um, a bigger issue for me in a different part of the country or different part of the world. But in my life, it's queer people that I'm mostly like, same. I'm not I'm whatever you say I am, actually. Same. Like, I just kind of don't want to fucking deal with it. I mean, not anymore. But, you know, I I have empathy for that because I've experienced that. Yeah. Um, Let's see. My fuck up of the week was, well, definitely... um, doing drugs with um my friend the other night not the act of doing the drugs just um just the whole environment of it i just like need a break you know i caught just like doing drugs i think other than like shrooms which i always do but i like you know i caught myself sneaking around behind my own back recently and was like all right girl in what way just in term you know i mean i talk all the time about like uh formally identifying as an addict, which I don't really actually identify as one, but I do have a very addictive personality. Um, and I love stimulants. So anytime I do Coke, I have to like really like check in with myself and be like, okay, like since then be like, all right, like what, what's like, are we sure about this? Like where, cause it's a very fine line for me. Mm. I'm aware of now after being an AA, um, of like it, it being like recreational drug use with friends and just having fun. And then like suddenly it's full blown. Like I am insane. And now I have a problem with any substance except psychedelics. So I've been feeling that way about both drinking and drugs. I just, I got a little bit loosey goosey in the last like three months with like partying. Mm. So I had to really let's, let's like reassess. Mm. That would be my mistake, I guess. Um, I love Coke. Coke is fun, but it makes me anxious and I just can't really be doing it more than like once a month. Yeah. Um, Let's see. What was my keepsake of the week? I mean, it's been like a pretty shitty week because I've been depressed. So I don't even really know what my keepsake has been. You saved your birthday weekend. I did save my birthday weekend. You're right. That is the keepsake. And I think the keepsake also is the fuck up as well. Mm. You know, the fuck up was that I've just been I I got a little bit too chaotic for my um, own comfort. Mm. And then the keepsake was that I am now mature enough. You're reeling it in. Yeah, I'm I'm now mature enough and self-aware enough to be like, oh, I don't like that. Reel it in. Yeah, we're normally like. The last, you know, anytime this has happened before where I've been like being really chaotic because I've been really manic or depressed, I have known and then been like, well, fuck it. So Mm. because I didn't really have like a life I valued or, you know, there was nothing in my life that was making me want to not be chaotic. Right. Um, Yeah. But now there is. But now there is. So I guess, you know, that's my keepsake. But yeah, also the birthday weekend, which will be fun. Yeah. Staying on a farm. This episode is coming out the Wednesday before your birthday is next Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. So this is coming out uh, the Wednesday before your birthday. So everybody, everybody wish. Venmo me if you want. A happy birthday. Team and then the Idol. following weekend, we're going upstate and absolutely um, having a COVID safe 
little uh girls trip girls trip i can't wait there's a sauna in the house there's a lit it's on a literal farm so we're gonna get to see a lot of farm animals oh my god i didn't know that yeah oh i'm so excited yeah. okay um so my mistake this week was um i grossly underestimated how heavy um, there's like these bars on the inside of my windows in my new apartment and I want them out because they're obstructing the natural light and there's no reason for them in to your be bedroom? there. Yeah. Oh yeah. There's no reason for them to be there because the window locks and is like facing a like fenced in yard yeah. and it's just, it's like, and then multiple other fenced in yards. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like my roommate doesn't have bars on her window. So it's just like, there's no, why does this one window have bars on it? You know, yeah. I was like, so I'm going to just take them off myself and then like put them back up when I move out. I grossly, grossly, grossly underestimated how heavy they would be when unscrewing them. And they fell so hard onto my foot. (laughs) Do you want me to kiss your foot better? Oh no. Um, So my foot is absolutely fucked right now. It's not broken. It's fine, but it's just swollen and hurts. Um, It almost fell on my dog, but she has very good reflexes and got the fuck out of the way. (laughs) Unlike you. Unlike her stupid No, I mean, I honestly, my reflexes was to make sure it didn't fall on her. So I think it fell on my foot as part of my like trying to move where its falling path would be. Um, it's fine. It honestly ended up not being like I was able to continue about my day almost as if nothing happened. But today yeah. I'm feeling it. So um, sometimes home improvement projects require a second person to be there. And I should have like foreseen that bars on windows would be like very heavy duty. Because No, the whole point I mean, I them, wouldn't have thought that. I Yeah. I mean, it seemed it honestly seemed so chill for me to just yeah. unscrew them and take them down. But um, that sucks. It was, yeah, I, it really hurt and was scary. I was like, I had an adrenaline rush for like an hour afterwards. Cause Aww. I was like, that was terrifying. It could have fallen on something in my room and like broken something sentimental. Like it was just like, it was a moment of like this hundred pound thing is falling, you know? So that sucked. That was That's my mistake. Sad. But my keepsake is that I um, have really like taken matters into my own hands with the things in my life that I'm not a fan of right now. One of which being there wasn't enough natural light in my room because of those bars. So I fucking took the bars down. And yeah. um, there's just like little little home improvement projects I've been doing that I feel very much like they're already improving my day-to-day life. Oh, nice. Um, and so my keepsake is that uh, like, you know, control the things that are within your control. Yeah. It'll make you feel so much better. And then my hot take is, um, you know, there's, uh, minimum minimum wage discourse uh-huh. happening right now. And uh, somebody, there was this really interesting, not interesting, but like poignant tweet that I saw that was like, everyone should make roughly the same amount of money and it should be enough to live. Hope this helps. <laughs> and I was like, that is exactly, I wish I remembered who tweeted that, but it was so funny. And so my hot take kind of is uh, like extrapolating from that is, you know, there's always like this, like people talk about like flipping burgers as like, what are you going to flip burgers the rest of your life? Or like they say it as this negative thing. And I realized that the only reason we talk about flipping burgers as a bad thing is because of the pay. It doesn't pay poorly because it's a bad thing. I personally think that if flipping burgers paid what like sanitation jobs paid, we'd be like highly respectable career. I agree. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. So I just, I just, I think that we are the ones that made that a job that's not in, like that people are ashamed to have. And when I tweeted a version of that, so many people replied to me being like, my favorite job I ever yeah, had I was those. like scooping ice cream. And I just wish that I like could have stayed at that job, but I literally couldn't afford to stay there. Yeah. So now I have to work at this job that I hate. And there are just so many people. Yeah, sad. That we're talking about, like, I loved working at Taco Bell, but I can't, like, I literally can't afford to keep working there. Yeah. And I'm just like, that is such a fucking bummer that these jobs that we think are just, like, last resort jobs, jobs that people have to take because everyone, like, nobody wants this job. So, like, you get it if you have no other option. Those are actually jobs that people really enjoy. Like, not everybody, but a lot of people do. And we just like cycle through like they just have a high turnover because people can't afford to keep the job exactly well that's why we then say well it's that's why it's for teenagers yeah but then somebody tweeted they were like well who, if these jobs are for teenagers then who the fuck is giving you your wendy's order at like 12 in the afternoon yeah on a monday yeah because it's not a high schooler they're at school totally yeah one of my favorite jobs was probably considered unskilled labor which it wasn't when i worked at the um the dining halls at Brown University before I moved to New York doing like food prep and then serving food behind the line. And like at first I was like, this job is so demoralizing because it was like, you know, a bunch of six. It was like mostly like 16 to 18 year olds plus like kids at Brown on financial aid um, who were also young. And then I was like one of the oldest people and I had to wear a hairnet um, <laughs> and it paid, you know, like 12 bucks, which is a lot for Rhode Island an hour. But that was nothing. But I loved that job. And like if I could have kept if I like ever got a job like that again and I could actually be paid a living wage I would fucking love it I got to be in a kitchen all day yeah. serve people food talk to people do food prep like I loved being a cashier I would honestly be a cashier for like the rest being of my a cashier life is fun it's so great and it's like it was just truly the best job I've ever had but yeah it was I think the pay cap was like 1250 an hour yeah and like that is a lot if you think about what the minimum wage is in this country but like that is not enough. <laughs> no, you can't survive on it. You can't that. survive on it. And I just, I think it's such a shame that like, whatever, we just have created this culture around like, you know, do what you love. And like, as long as what you love is within the realm of things that we've decided are respectable jobs. And then also, furthermore, one of the reasons these jobs happen to suck is because customers treat you like shit. And the reason customers treat people like shit is because they have no respect for the work they're doing. Yeah. And so it's like we just got to completely change the way we view the labor that all of us benefit from every single day. If you don't respect your Dunkin' Do- Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> if you don't respect your Dunkin' Donuts, Woika, well, respect, then I've got a void for you. If you don't respect your local Dunkin' Donuts employees and what they do for a living, then guess what? Make your own coffee every day. Can we call this episode Dunkin' Donuts? Yes. <laughs> Anya's a whore because you didn't respect her grandfather when she was working at Dunkin' Donuts. You know what? I At least I uh, come from a family that has the utmost respect for um, all labor. Yeah. I, I mean, I agree. I come from a family of people who have, like, all of my cousins growing up worked in the service industry. Yeah. My mom. The only person in my family who consistently is rude to service workers is my grandmother. <laughs> but we actually stopped going out to eat with her until she got better. We, like, all had to have a convo with her. And we're like, all of your grandkids work as waiters, so why are you being rude to the ones that aren't your grandkids? Yeah. But I think that is, like, an issue. I think, honestly, a lot of it, um, like, people being middle class or middle class or even, like, 
working on like the middle class adjacent spectrum people who are rude to service worker peoples. I think it's a big class. Oh, it's a projection. Yeah. And anyway, what's the fuck up of the week? Uh, well, I don't know. What is the fuck up of the week? I, I oh. honestly... Mm. No, what you say it. What? Uh, the army hammer thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that, you know what? Let's make that the fuck up of the week. For me, it's both, um, army hammer probably shouldn't have put, I am 100% a cannibal <laughs> in writing. <laughs> Leave think, him alone. He loves DMT. No, no, no. I think maybe don't put that in writing. Um, but also the way everyone reacted, I think was a little bit of an overreaction until his finsta got leaked and it was like just a lot of fucking nutso stuff, I think. Yeah, I mean, listen, I I saw the nutso stuff and even that was not that nutso to me. And I know that now uh, his ex-girlfriend or like a woman he fucked for a while just came out and like said that she had to like, you know, check into a mental health place for PTSD for a month because of how crazy he was. And she says that he was, you know, emotionally abusive Um, and... I don't know. I want to tread lightly here because I don't ever, you know, with this culture we live in, which I love, post me too. We're supposed to believe all women. I don't necessarily jive with that. I, you know, I think we should listen to all people and take their allegations seriously. But I think some of these allegations are not, you know, I think that's what they are as allegations. Like I read what she said and I was like, this sounds a lot like when I was 22 and I was calling asshole boys like emotionally abusive, but they were like just jerks. Because <laughs> no, literally mean, her allegations was that he was he would ask her to do things in bed that she normally would never do. He pushed her to the edge. They would constantly get drunk together and she didn't like it, but it's how he was. And he would text her like a hundred times a day. And I'm like, great. All of these things sound annoying and uncomfortable, but <laughs> you like... That's when it's your responsibility exactly. to break up with him. I'm like, I agree with yeah, that. Yeah, I'm like, I'm sorry. Sorry that you got PTSD, PTSD from that. But that like, that's not enough for me to hate Army Hammer. Sorry. No, and I also don't, I don't think that like anything that has happened is cancelable. I just think maybe don't be a celebrity with a Finsta that is quite so transparent. Totally. About like, yeah, I mean, it, that still sucks though. I'm like, what? the fucking person or people who leaked the photos i'm like also uh, supposedly in the name you know like oh and and his no wonder his ex-wife has to like she's a republican hide. who cares <laughs> no no wonder his ex-wife has to like hide her kids in in these Please. islands it's like he's there with them a lot of yeah. the time and also how is this not more harmful to his kids that now exactly. there's this huge story about their dad um, but yeah, I don't, I'm not here to kink shame him. I watch True Blood. I'm into I it. I think everyone needs to grow the Eat fuck up. Eat my spine. I don't fucking yeah. care. Grow up, go outside, get a coffee, call a friend, <laughs> masturbate. And there's a difference. There's a difference between like an abusive relationship where you're actually trapped and a relationship where your boundaries keep getting disrespected yeah. and you kind of continue. To yeah. It sounds stay. like homegirl didn't have any boundaries and she didn't know how to say that. And now and, she wants and to maybe claim. There's, maybe there's things about it. We don't know just based on what sure, was written. But as a woman, how I feel about it. as a woman who has been in a relationship like that before, where my boundaries were being stepped on and I didn't have any boundaries. So I then didn't know how to, and it felt like an adventure and I didn't know how to 
speak up about my boundaries. And then because I felt disempowered by that, I was like, he was emotionally abusive and manipulative because I really believed that. Mm. And now years later, I'm like, that was not the case. You just didn't have boundaries. Mm. And so you let this person walk all over you. Yeah. And then you were angry about it. That's what this sounds like. And now people want a little bit like the Aziz thing. Yeah, it Where is like the Aziz like, well, thing. It kind of sounds like you didn't communicate anything to him. Yeah, I mean, when the Aziz thing came out, I was like, he's a piece of shit. But that immediately after, I was like, actually, it sounds like you. We've all been in these situations. Yeah, and it, it doesn't an, doesn't mean he's not a piece of no, shit. No, I was like, he sounds like a piece of shit. It's annoying putting his dick on your back, but you should have just left, girl. But it it is also like a little bit disrespectful to the people who were like brutally assaulted. Yeah, listen, no no red scare, but um <laughs> but I do agree with both of them when they talk about assault allegations a lot and even the Me Too movement in which they both say like obviously we should listen to all women and all people who are coming forth with these allegations, but also fucking take responsibility for yourself and yeah. like I'll, the majority of the time that I see people on Twitter or on social media being like I was you know, this was a uh, somewhat abusive. And then I read what they are talking about. I'm like, I'm sorry. It doesn't sound like abuse. It sounds like you didn't have boundaries. And like, now you want to be like infantilized for it. Mm-hmm. And it's, I don't like it feels, and I'm sure I know people are going to get mad at me for saying this, but I don't care. I'm not trying to be like a boomer feminist, but it's like, in the words of Tyra Banks, take responsibility for yourself. <laughs> like, listen, every fucking ev- every person I know, and I'm saying this because I've had people, me- I've had uh, quite a few people message me about one of our episodes of the podcast where we talk about uh, like leaving, being able to get up and leave a bad sexual experience instead of just fucking your way through it. Yeah. And I just think that like a lot of people have been in a scenario like the one with Aziz Ansari. Yeah. Where, like we just don't, we feel uncomfortable because of the culture we live in, but that does not mean that we were abused. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, same with that girl. I'm like, sorry, girl. And it it's, was- it's like, it's, it's, uh, if you're not, I mean, whatever the army hammer thing. We, we don't know all of the details, I guess, but I do feel like people are kind of, I just can't believe that. Like I have been put in a position by twitter.com where I'm fucking standing up for a cis straight white man. Like, <laughs> you really have done that to me. Like just let the man say he wants to eat your spine. Yeah. Grow up. <laughs> no, you don't have to let him say he wants to eat your spine. If you, if, and also, if he's messaging that to you, feel free to absolutely block him. But I just mean like in general, I don't think it's a problem that no. he is like sexually excited by the idea of cannibalism it does not mean he's literally a cannibal i will say what well, if we want to unpack anything not that we need to because who fucking cares um is that his sexual desires seem to be heavily rooted in misogyny like yeah. the idea that like he needs like Control a girl who's not and- his wife that he can like fuck up because he doesn't respect her yeah but i don't care about that I, I don't care about any of it to be honest but it was the fuck up of the week many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, Nika's going to kick us off with this week's listener mistake. Oh, we're really getting into it. Okay. I mean, sure. Do you want to banter up top? No, not. I was just. <laughs> did, did I you? wasn't like an insult. <laughs> I liked that we were just getting down to business. Listener mistakes. Okay. 
So there's no name. Okay. No, cool. yeah, it's just it's a screenshot from a an email that had multiple mistakes. So I pulled out one oh, mistake okay, for you. Cool. So it says dating. I'm very shy and rarely approach women outside and have tended to rely on online dating. But one time on the bus, a woman seemed to smile, looking in my direction multiple times. So then she got off the bus. I I paused and contemplated whether I'd just lost my chance at a relationship for what seemed like forever and then decided to get off the bus and talk to her, which was one stop before the one I usually get off one block away. I caught up with her and I think I said something fairly bland like, hi, my name's John. What's your name? This was years ago, so I'm not sure of my exact words. She bluntly said, I'm not going to talk to you. I paused and asked her, oh, why not? She responded, uh, because it's dark out and I don't know you. So I stopped walking and said, oh, well, have a good night. In a tone as if I was leaving a checkout line at the grocery store. I didn't really know what else to say. I don't know if I lost a chance or not. Maybe she was smiling frequently in the bus because she was just in a generally good mood. Maybe if I had a chance, I should have talked to her while in that well-lit bus. I learned my lesson and never approached a woman on the street, night or day, before or after that encounter. Damn. This took me on a roller coaster. Full of mistakes. (laughs) (laughs) Just like one after another. Okay, here's... Okay, I'm going to just jump right in with an in his defense. Okay, go for it. Because I think we're all on the same page that, yeah, that was a blanket statement, a mistake, the whole thing. And and his perspective on it, I think, is also a little bit wonky. A mistake. Yeah, but, but in his defense, I do think that, you know, if somebody's like smiling, if she was actually smiling at him, like... In a more than, you know, sometimes you just like politely just kind of. Yeah. Well, this is, oh, this is why women don't like smiling at strangers because they're like, why aren't you smiling? It's like, because if I did, you'd think that you could get off the bus and follow me home. (laughs) And here's the thing. The person who wrote this is like a reasonable, nice person. Like I interact with them on Twitter. Maybe now they're like, oh, she thinks I'm reasonable. I'm going to go talk to her. (laughs) Um, But I do think. That it's not unreasonable that if somebody is like directly smiling at you to maybe see that as like an invitation to start a conversation in that moment. Yeah. I do think the mistake was to get off of the bus, assume that she would even remember who you are because <laughs> you got off. Didn't he say at a different stop than she did? He like caught up with her. He like yeah. got off. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I would fully not be like, oh, you're the guy from the bus that I was so taken by. I've just like never been on a bus where I've wanted anyone on the bus to get off and follow me home. Like it just. But I will say when that does happen, when you like see a hot person yeah, on hot. So, uh, on like uh, I almost said social media, not what I meant. Um, public transportation. It, part of me is like, oh, come on, get off on this stop and flirt with me. But yeah. I just I'm I'm glad they don't because it indicates more about them, you know, ethically that they're like, well, I might have been misreading it. I don't want to follow this bitch home. <laughs> but I did. I will say this reminded me of a story when I was on the subway like a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. And there was like this just smoking hot. Uh, I want to say. MTA employee like he was like wearing an orange vest and he was like dirty you know like he was like covered in like soot (laughs) but he was like so fucking hot in the in a very like 
um, blue collar New York kind of way where he mm-hmm. had like kind of tacky tattoos. I say this is someone who has bad tattoos. So like, <laughs> don't insane. don't come for me, anyone that's like, I don't know, upset that I'm we know what I'm talking about. You know, a tattoo on his forearm that says like a person's name. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Um, but he was like just so smoking hot. Like his facial features, he just was an absolute 10 out of 10. And I was making severe eyes at him. And I was like smiling at him a little bit and like really like laying it on thick. And he got off at a, a stop before me, before I did. And he like came up to me on his way out being like, hope you have a nice day. And then he like got off and I was like, oh, fuck. And I was like, do I follow him off? Like I had that thought. Creamed corn soup in your pants. I know, seriously. Mm. But um, so I will say it can happen where there's like a sincere, genuine physical attraction between two people just on the train or bus. But I don't have like a success. We're not like together to this day. You know, I get it. I mean, I get the impulse. I've like, I've almost followed someone off of the subway once, but I just held myself back because I did not want to get arrested for following Greta Gerwig home. (laughs) (laughs) Was it Greta Gerwig? It was Greta Gerwig. All right. Well, that's different. And we were standing uh, like up the subway pole was in between us. That's how close we were. So, Wow. I know. I couldn't stop staring. I looked like the bottom eye emoji. Yeah. Just watery eyes. Yep. I've uh I've been a creep on on public transportation. I took a picture of Amanda Knox on the L train. <gasps> oh my god. Amanda Knox, please come on the podcast. Oh my god, Amanda Knox is a podcast queen. I love She's you, pumping Knox. out podcasts. I love her. I sincerely it's weird to stand somebody just because they got falsely accused of murder, but here we are. I stand oh, her. Oh, no, I love you. Oh, she's the best. Anyway, um, obviously, it's not just because she got falsely accused. It's how she's handled it. Yeah. She's very... Um, she's an icon. She's, she's an advocate and an icon. I love her. That's anyway, right. so, John, um, thank you for sharing your mistake. I'm glad you learned from it. I'm curious if you actually took away the lesson that I think you should have. Like, his lesson is, like, now I know not to do that because people might be creeped out by it. And, like, I don't know if I missed a chance at love. I don't think that that exists, you know? Yeah, no. Like, missing a chance at love. Like, you either meet somebody and fall in love with them or you don't. It's not like, oh, I don't know. I don't believe in timelines in that way. Mm, Yeah, I go back and forth with that. Yeah. Depends how, like, happy or depressed I am. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I, I think it's interesting to explore, like, uh, mentally. Like, what if you know, fucking this butterfly effect, this happened instead of this. But like, I don't know. I don't think that you need to like be like, what if this woman that briefly smiled at me on a bus was the love of my life? Yeah, no, I think she the, wasn't. But yeah, and the lesson to take away is to just like <laughs> uh, respect people's bubbles. Yeah, like, I'm very like, anti-romanticizing strangers. Oh, no. I mean, I love to fall in love with a stranger, but I'm not going to approach them. Yeah, in a way that affects them, I mean. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. Just want to make sure we're on the same page. Because <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> obviously I like briefly fell in love with that guy I just described. Yeah. Like I, I understand the feeling. I'm just so saying. All the strangers like, I've ever loved before. Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, thanks for your vulnerability. And I'm glad you don't follow women off of buses <laughs> anymore. <laughs> one day at a time. <laughs> I'm glad that was a one and done situation. <laughs> um, and I think she handled that so gracefully. <laughs> I would have like maced you. Seriously. <laughs> I would have screamed fire. <laughs> um, uh, 
yeah. Or I would have just straight up like pretended I didn't see or hear you. I do. That's a move of mine where I'm oh, like, yeah, I love doing that. <laughs> yeah, where I like make people question if they're a ghost or not. <laughs> <laughs> really sixth sense somebody. Um, so uh, I'm gonna kick us off with my my deep dive. Set okay. the tone. Deep dive. Deep dive. So, um, my deep dive mistake from my past. When I first moved to New York, the first job I got was at this very fancy Italian restaurant. Um, I almost considered naming it, but I'm going to leave it unnamed. I'm, I'll probably oust it at some point during this, though, because it is famous. But it's very, um, it's owned by the same company that the book Sweet Bitter is about, or mm-hmm. <laughs> which you have. It's in this room right now. <laughs> we are currently in the company of that book. Um, that book about a woman moving to New York and like getting hired on a whim uh at this like super fancy um, mm-hmm. restaurant very much paralleled my experience. Although her, the book is about it, like opening up her whole world and she like loves it. And I, it was like my actual hell on earth. <laughs> I hated it so much. Um, still love a lot of the people I um, worked with though. They're all great people. But anyway, um, so in hating it deeply, I started to get pretty fast and loose with um, just kind of openly hating it, you know, mm-hmm. like at work, <laughs> which which employers turns out don't love. <laughs> <laughs> um, they had me train. Here's the thing. They kept denying me a promotion um, that I was I fully deserved. I did everything they asked and they just kept not promoting me. And they promoted like multiple people who had been hired after me. Like it was just one of these situations where I'm like, I am just being held in purgatory and I hate this. And even though they kept denying me promotions, they kept having me train the new people. And when I asked them, like, why am I the only one that's training new people? They're like, because you're so good at your job. And I was like, then <laughs> fucking promote me, you sons of bitches. Anyway, um, so I decided that I was just going to start like openly shit talking the job to the new people, you know, just because I I was like, if you're going to have me train six people in a row, like honestly, for four weeks, I didn't have a regular shift. They were all training shifts. Mm -hmm. And when you're the trainer, you're doing your job twice, pretty much. You're doing it and explaining it to somebody It's way harder. And they didn't pay me more for it, I don't think. Or if they did, it was like really not sufficient for how much harder those shifts were. And so I just was like, all right, part of this training is telling people that this job is awful and everyone here sucks. Um, Not the coworkers. I do want to reiterate my coworkers were great, but my bosses sucked. Anyway, um, so one day we had a PDR, which was a private dining room for people not in the business. (laughs) Um, And it was like, I don't know, a wedding related thing. It was either like a bachelor party or bachelorette party or like a bridal shower or something, you know. Um, maybe even the rehearsal dinner and they had these little name, um, uh, plates like on each setting. So, because it was like assigned seating. So while I was setting up the names, I just like noticed that each of the names was like stereotypically like annoying white person. Mm-hmm. Like there was like a Chad, a Brittany, uh, an Abby, a, a like whatever, a, like just stereotypical names. I think there was, um, I think there was a Chad and a Brad, you know, mm. like 
And so I took a video around the the dining room table of all the names and posted it to Instagram oh, being no. like, this is like going to be the worst day of my life. Like, <laughs> I can tell this is going to be a terrible shift, <laughs> which is very funny. I'm sorry, but like, it is. It, but it, um, it did well. It did well enough that it got to, and my Instagram wasn't private because I'm an aspiring comedian. Oh my God. Um, like almost immediately I'm called to the office (laughs) (laughs) and they're like, yo, (laughs) our restaurant name is in this video. (laughs) Wait, you geotag? No, um, the like menu is in the video. (laughs) I don't know. I was, I thought I was safe. You know, I had like less than a thousand followers at this point, but the video and caption were funny enough that it like did better than my following. And it really like spread quickly um and uh i they're like we're not gonna fire you because like whatever they like i deleted it in time and they're like but you know this could have been serious like they could have seen it and like and they're right uh, yeah obviously um but they were like we're not gonna fire you but we do think that you probably want to quit and now in retrospect i realized that they just were getting out of unemployment oh. <laughs> because i was like you're right i do want to quit i hate it here and i like literally quit that day Oh, sneaky. So the mistake is two things. I shouldn't have done that. That was rude. I was like 21 in my defense. Not that that's honestly too old to be making that immature of a mistake, but whatever. Early 20s, dramatic. Whatever. Fuck them. Um, But my main mistake was letting them convince me to quit. Yeah. I I like I know the real lesson is don't be a terrible employee. But my lesson that I'm taking away is always make them fire you. Yeah. Get that unemployment. I've tried to get fired at every job that I've had. And I've unfortunately just quit all of them because I just realized in this moment that they don't fire me because they never want to pay me unemployment. Yeah. It's like it's like um, being the significant other that like doesn't want to break (laughs) up with the person. So you you, like convince them to break up with you. By being like a terrible lover. <laughs> That's what my job did. Um, they were a shitty uh, ex-boyfriend that couldn't own up to the fact that he wanted to dump me, you know? So he was like, you sounds like you want to break up. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? I do. <laughs> and I walked out of there and um, never looked back except for uh, literally all the time when I tell that story. Anyway, that's my deep dive. I really loved that story. Thank you for sharing that with me. You're welcome. (laughs) Makes me feel a lot closer to you (laughs) as someone who has done things like that at jobs before. Yeah, I feel very vulnerable. Um, I'm not sure how to relate that to. um, (laughs) Too bad you have to to the famous mistake I'm going to be talking about today. Um, Let's see. Best mistake. What's your famous mistake? Oh, so my famous mistake, um, I'm talking about the life, but mostly the death of Lily Elb, the Danish girl. Uh, yes. Um, I'm going to figure out how that relates. Yeah, you'll figure it out. Um, okay, so let's really get into it. I took Sorry. I took Go notes this week. Um, Ooh, wow, we're, we're, switching, we're switching roles because I forgot my notes this week. Yeah. Okay, so um lily l was born on december 28 1882 in i don't know how to say this vajel denmark um she was assigned male at birth um some sources i found out while researching her believe that she was intersex um but it's also disputed so no one's really sure some also think that she might have had something called 
Klinefelter syndrome, which is apparently the presence of two or more X chromosomes in addition to the Y chromosome. I don't know what that means. Um, most, isn't, that, isn't that is intersex, isn't it? It's a type it's some, of intersex? Maybe a type of intersex. Yeah, I don't know. I'm assuming it's like adjacent. Uh, <laughs> intersex adjacent <laughs> intersex is adjacent. the official term. Um, uh, we're experts on gender, <laughs> self-proclaimed, and this is this is how we're talking yeah, about I know it. Nothing about gender. I'm trans. Um, <laughs> basically, no one really knows that much about her life. Like a lot of it is, um, a lot of it is like up for question, or um, like a lot of the accounts of her life have been like highly fictionalized. Um, or kind of lost in translation because directly linked to the Nazis. So destruction of medical records Mm -hmm. um, that she was like written about in because she was one of the first trans women in Europe, at least to start medically transitioning the way that she did. Um, She was like written about a lot. Um, And so all of these writings were within books at Germany's Institute for Sexual Research um, and those were destroyed two years after her death in 1933 by Nazi students. Um, it's actually a famous episode on Transparent. They like do like a flashback of this, but not including Lily Elb. So um, a little bit about her. She studied at the Royal Danish um, Academy of Fine Arts in Copenhagen, where she met her wife, who is also Gerda. Gerda. I love I, Gerda's <laughs> art is some of my favorite art on this earth. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. I literally just bought four prints of it. So when I saw that you were doing this, I was like, I Ooh. love this. OK, Gerda continue. Gott, Gottlieb. Um Gerda also has like some uncertainty swirling around her life. A lot of people think that she was probably like some degree of queer, um, especially just like when you look at their marriage together, hers and Lily's. Also, if you look at her art. Yeah. And her art. All of her art is like women 69ing. Yeah. (laughs) But her like most historians to this day will say that she was straight and that what they had was a heterosexual marriage. Boo. Boo. Yeah. Boo. Um, so Lily and Gerda meet at university. They marry in 1904. In 1908, Lily has what will be like a huge life altering experience for her, um, where she models for Gerda for the first time. This happens because a Danish actress, Anna Larsen, fails to show up for a modeling session and calls Gerda and tells Lily to fill in for her. So Lily fills in for her. Um, if you've seen the atrocity, the Danish girl, <laughs> you'll like see the scene where she's wearing the dr- or like wearing the dress on her body, but not actually wearing it over her body. And it's like having her like, I'm a girl moment. It's so corny and bad, but her, this is her gender based. euphoria. Yeah. Euphoria moment. <laughs> um, so Lily later wrote in a diary about that first experience. I cannot deny strange as it may sound that I enjoyed myself in this disguise, I liked the feel of soft women's clothing. I felt very much at home in them from the first moment. Um, And she goes on to become a frequent model for uh, Gerda's work. So this starts like a new relationship for them. Gerda's paintings of her are phenomenal. Absolutely gorgeous. Um, So after walking in on a modeling session, Anna Larson, that Danish actress, um, suggest the name Lily for this new persona that Lily Elb has taken on. So it's adopted. She chooses that as her name. She still hasn't transitioned yet. 
Um, and but she starts appearing as Lily more often outside of modeling sessions, mm. most notably at home. Um, but then they start going to some parties together and it quickly becomes known in like Copenhagen high society that she, uh, like that she was assigned male at birth. Um, so it becomes like a huge scandal. And in 1912, Gerda and Lily moved to Paris to kind of get away and be in like a new avant-garde progressive society. Um, so she continues being the model for Gerda in Paris and she basically throughout the 1920s starts appearing is like living, you know, her life as a woman at these events. But she like she's not out. Everyone assumes that she's Gerda's sister-in-law, but no one knows where like Gerda's husband is. I love that they have like two secrets in that situation. They're like. I'm trans and also we're gay. <laughs> like it's such it's like a huge pill to swallow at that point. <laughs> pretty like two amazing. different things that people would be like, wait a second, what the fuck? <laughs> you are blowing our minds right now. <laughs> I wish that that was just how people reacted to that. They're like, wait, what? That's so wild. And that's the only reaction. <laughs> they're like, whoa. Chugs your champagne flute. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, anyway, back to my drinking that's what the 20s was all about right i think and Um, and these 20s too (laughs) we're circling back oh my god please so by the end of the decade lily is basically she wants to close up shop she wants to leave her marriage she wants to be open as a woman not just at like select art parties as kind of like a gag um and she wants to start having surgeries so she, I thought you were about to say she wants to start having sex. <laughs> it's like, surgeries okay. and sex. Um, <laughs> at some point um, in the late 20s, she gets diagnosed as a schizophrenic to describe her what they called internal conflict. Um, she decides that she's going to kill herself in 1930, um, in May of 1930. But in February, her life is seemingly saved when she learns that a doctor, Magnus Hirschfeld, um is willing to help her begin the transition process. So she undergoes a series of five sex reassignment surgeries beginning later in 1930 with Magnus Hirschfeld. Do you happen to know why this doctor was interested in doing that? Did he just want to be the doctor who figured out how to do this? Or did he like care about this plight? Um, I don't know. I'm, I, I like didn't look anything up about him, but I know that a lot of what he, a lot of his medical research was also like kept at that same institute that was burned down by the Nazis Mm. in 1933. And I know that like the doctor who, the, the psychiatrist who ran that institute, like did have like a deep, it seemed like he had a deep care for the LGBTQ community and like wanted to, you know, help them feel normalized in a medical way. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. But I mean, my theory is that all men who become surgeons for trans women are definitely chasers, (laughs) Um, which like, I love that. I love the idea of like a turn of the century chaser too. Like before there even really is like a known community of like, obviously there have been trans women, forever but it wasn't like a named thing in that 
uh, time in history. And so I just love the idea of like a niche group of men who like <laughs> are like, there's whispers of this type of woman. <laughs> They're exchanging uh, folklore. And he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll be the doctor <laughs> who affirms them. And honestly, I mean, I love that. I don't love a sexual, um, uh, what's the word? Like motivation. But whatever. Whatever gets the job done. Whatever gets it done. Whatever gets you that puss. That fat <laughs> puss. Um, so I'm not going to go on and talk about, because the article I got this from like really talks in detail about the surgeries. I'm not going to talk about those, because I think you guys are a bunch of fucking sickos <laughs> who want to hear all the details about bottom surgery. What, um, our listeners or just people in general? Just people in general. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, not our listeners who I love. Just <laughs> people who might be listening in and like want to know. Yeah. I'm like, read a book. Read um, one fucking read book. Read one fucking book. Uh, <laughs> because I if you literally even... read my Twitter because I talk about it constantly. <laughs> if so you put, pick up any book off the street and it will describe <laughs> to you the, the intricacies of bottom surgery, you idiot. <laughs> So <laughs> I, I'll talk about one detail of one surgery is that, um, which I think is really interesting and gets to the gist of this story is that a later surgery implanted an ovary at the same time as removing the penis. This took place in Germany. Um, and so she, back then bottom surgery, uh, a vaginoplasty was like, I think she was like the third person to have one done. She's been said to have the first, but I read that she might have actually been the third. Okay. Um, it was done in like multiple surgeries, usually between two and four. So she gets the first three done for the vagina, um, which that's how she dies in the Danish girl. That's not how she dies in real life. They show that in the Danish girl, she dies because she goes back for the second part of bottom surgery. And You're like, see what gen- getting your yeah. gender affirmation does. And J.K. Rowling actually it kills you. Uh, ghost wrote the screenplay for the Danish <laughs> Girl. Um, yeah, it's just like turf propaganda. <laughs> so the reason that she died is because in 19, at the end of 1930, after she gets these surgeries, she goes back to get a uterus constructed, um, which has like ne- had never been done at that time. I still don't know if it's been done on a trans woman yet. I know that there have been a few cis women who have been born without a uterus or without a working uterus who have had a uterus transplant in the last like four years. And has it's worked? And it's worked. Whoa, I, really? Yeah. Someone told me on Twitter that there was one trans woman who's had it done, but I haven't been like, I haven't found anything about it. Yeah. You're like, you would be on that. Yeah. Oh, I like, I just want a broad of strapping four young boys once I have my uterus <laughs> transplant. You just want to shove some young boys out. Constantly pregnant. Yeah. Just tits just full of milk. <laughs> Chur- really churning butter. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but I'll be churning butter for my sons. Um, so. Yeah, I like how that was on the heels of you describing your own tit milk, which implies that the butter is made out of your own milk, which yeah. is um, pretty cool. <laughs> So, um, let's see. Oh, so she gets the surgery. She's still alive. She hasn't got the uterus surgery yet, the uterus transplant. Um, so she divorces Gerda. Their marriage gets annulled. She ends her career as an artist. She marries a man, Claude Lejeune. Um, and that's when she's like, okay, I'm getting married. I want to have your baby. I'm going to get a uterus transplant. 
1931, she goes back to Germany for the surgery to implant the uterus. In June, she has the surgery. Her body immediately rejects the new uterus and she becomes infected. Um, there are no drugs in 1931 um, and there won't be for 50 years. Wait, to, no drug. Oh, sorry. Continue. To, to treat the specific infection, uh, the rejection of mm. the uterus. Um, so she dies on September 13th, 1931 from a heart attack brought on by the infection. She's 48. Um, and apparently she expresses to friends and family kind of like on her deathbed, um, that it may be said that 14 months is not much, but they seem to me like a whole and happy human life. Um, and she dies and that like kind of cements her legacy as the Danish girl. She's like forgotten about for a while after World War II. Um, cause unfortunately like the kind of burgeoning trans and queer society that there was in cities like Berlin and Paris get mm-hmm. destroyed. Um, all of the, you know, that Institute in Germany is burned down. So like a lot of knowledge that we're still looking forward to this day that like they knew back then medically is still lost. Um, and um, so she dies and then she, her autobiography that she writes gets published after her death. So that's like where we have a lot of info about her. Um, and then like medical journals in like the eighties and nineties were released. So that gave us like kind of more of a clue about her, but it was really the movie with Eddie Redmayne that like, brought her back to consciousness, unfortunately. Um, I picked this um, because I kind of think that obviously the mistake which led to her death, and it wasn't really her fault, but the mistake would be to get a uterus transplant in 1931. Um, I don't really know who we would blame in this scenario. I mean, the doctors, but also her. Like, she was a, you know... 47-year-old woman. Um, Yeah, it's like, I mean, even if the uterus transplant worked, like, biologically, that's not a great time to have a kid anyway. Yeah. It's pretty late in the game, which isn't fair. Listen, I'm not... Yeah. I I don't love that either, but... I wouldn't even really blame... Like, I wouldn't blame anyone. No, me neither. And sometimes, like, I think this this falls into a category of mistakes of, like, sometimes you don't even realize you're making a mistake. Yeah. That's going to lead to something horrible, which in this case led to her death. Yeah. Um, who knows? Like if she had never gone back for that, you know, fifth surgery, would she have lived like a longer level? Well, probably not actually. Cause it was like pre-World War II. <laughs> she probably would have been killed by oh, the Nazis. So like maybe, you Yikes. know, maybe that's the silver lining. She was high enough in society though, that I feel like she could have probably found a ticket out of there. Maybe, but Gerda died at like, uh, right before World War II. Yeah. She died in like her fifties. Um, From the Nazis? No, she, but she was like broke and like basically penniless. Mm, yeah. So. Oh, God damn And it, she Gerda. was living in Denmark, which eventually got overrun by the Nazis. Yeah. 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 yeah for sure. Ugh, if I just spent so much money on Gerda Prince. If I only like I could that. give them to her or give that money to her, you know? Poor Gerda. Poor Gerda. Poor Lily. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that the main like quote unquote mistake, the misfortune is, um, you know, when you want something badly enough that like uh, you're willing to kind of compromise on your own safety to get it. Mm -hmm. And 
we've all been there in oh, different yeah. ways. And this just happened to be in a medical arena. So it's yeah. like, it's not really, it's, it's not the doctor's fault, quote unquote. It's not her fault, but it's really more the fault of that, like feeling of, um, disregard for your own safety. Um, which ultimately, yeah, I mean, it sounds like she was, it sounds like she was fine with it. I, I only hesitated to say that because I feel like if you're on your deathbed, it's like, pretty much the thing to do is to yeah, be to okay be like, with it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure she was pissed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, like think of all the, yes, she might not have had a working uterus and like was able to bear her own children, but think of possibly all the more years she could have had, um, in Nazi Germany, in Nazi Germany, <laughs> or, you know, just as a, um, affirmed, woman yeah like she lived so such a long time um not as her authentic self so it's a shame it was cut short yeah and like that was mostly due to um just like being like fuck it i mean i understood like i mean you know when was this so 1931 so that was 80 what years ago 90 years ago 90 years ago i mean 90 years later like you know I feel like the fuck it attitude of fuck it, this is like what I'll do for like the body I want as a trans person mentality is still kind of totally. Exi- I mean, yeah, I, I have no idea what hormones do to me. Like, I literally don't know. Like, and doctors don't know. Like, I know like what they make my body look like, yeah. but like the every doctor I've ever spoken to about like, oh, what's the long term side effects of, you know, this estrogen I'm pumping into my body, like with a needle, you know, every other like, what is that doing? No one knows. I feel like a, you know, a, a, a guinea pig. But I'm also like, well, fuck it. Because you want to live. I want tits and like, you know, smooth skin and a fat ass. Yeah. You so. want to live your true authentic life. And if that means I die at 40. <laughs> but I mean, from haven't people been taking hormones for long enough that we know that it doesn't do that? No, well, because, like, they do know that it causes renal failure event. Like, it can cause renal failure. It can cause cancer. Like, it can cause a Yeah, but everything of... can cause something. Yeah, but I, I mean, I Like, don't... the tap water we drink can cause cancer. I don't know, um, like, how long have trans people widely been on hormones and how long has it been studied, you know? Yeah, I just, I think that... I think it's still kind of considered, like, new-ish. It's only been since, like... What, I would say like the 80s? I guess so. I mean, but I don't know. There were like a lot of... There were a lot of rogue trans people before that that were definitely on hormones. And I think a lot of them died young. Did they? Well, they probably died young. Christine Jorgensen. She was like a big one. She died in her 60s, I think. That was cancer though, I think. I mean... But we don't know from what. Yeah, interesting. You know, I like resigned myself to to this. And also like, I will be right in line for my uterus transplant (laughs) outside of Ikea um, when... They are doing that. Outside of Ikea. <laughs> and, Ikea is doing yeah. the uterus transplant. And that might kill me too. That's also, like, is that Danish? What are they? Swedish? Swedish. Okay. It's all the same thing. It's all the same fucking, fucking thing. Europeans. Um, yeah, I mean, I think about that. Even like, uh, you know, I think of all the time, like when we start doing uterus transplants on trans women with the bodies we have as women who were assigned male at birth, like, most of us don't have, or I know I don't have childbearing hips, right? Like I don't have. But so neither do like a lot of cis women. Yeah, but there's still like I, there's so much like, the, yeah, even, <laughs> yeah, but even the space in my body, like if yeah, you look yeah, at an yeah, x-ray yeah. of like, because I don't have a uterus, like I think a lot, like is it going to lead to 
you know, trans women either having severe health complications and or dying in childbirth, like Mm. with like the early uterus transplants. Who knows? Will I get one regardless? Absolutely. Like I would love to be the first trans woman to die during childbirth. (laughs) (laughs) To have a son that has that tragic story. Oh my God. (laughs) That would be beautiful. You're like, actually, that's like my preference. That's my dream. That would be beautiful for my son. Oswald. You want you want to gift your child with being able to be like, yeah, my mom died during childbirth. Ugh. Yeah, that would be great. Woe is me. They'll get famous even though I won't. I'll be fine though. Yeah, but whatever. You'll be like famous by association. By yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I'm going to get famous. I already know it. It's my way of being a supportive friend. I'm like, yeah, fuck it. Whatever. You'll die. <laughs> See if I can fucking talk about care. Me on, um, uh, All right. A well, true crime show. I think my takeaway is um, like the lesson learned is that it's, you know, fully up to the individual what the like risk versus reward is for anything like that. Any kind of like bodily change for Mm. any reason it doesn't even have to be gender related but like i don't know another example being like um choosing to have a baby versus choosing to have an abortion both of which are somewhat dangerous not really anymore Mm. but you know like there's so many things that somebody can choose to do with their body that is risky in some way and it's like fully up to the individual of like what is worth it to them yeah and um I think that like the peace that she had when she died, whether it was sincere or just because, you know, that's what you got to say when you're on your deathbed um, is like proof of that enough for me. You know, like she was like, yeah, fuck it. I did. I did what I came to do. And now I'm out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think um, my uh, takeaway is that they should remake the movie and cast me. Yeah, that's that's the real mistake is the (laughs) casting of that movie. That's the mistake. Um, and, uh, also <laughs> my other takeaway is fuck Eddie Redmayne. Um, and also J.K. Rowling can suck my dick. Absolutely. I do just, I mean, for anybody who's not familiar, I do want to just clarify that the movie, um, cast a cis male actor to play Lily, which was very much the thing to do when that movie, well, I don't know, that movie was even later than a lot of the other movies that did that, right? No, it was like, I hadn't transitioned yet, though. It was 2013. I know I hadn't transitioned yet because I got into a fight with a trans person on Facebook about it. Oh, really? You were on the wrong side? I was like, oh, grow. I was like, I remember being like, you're so fucking sensitive. Like, Eddie Redmayne's a good actor. Get over it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. We love we love real life character (laughs) development. (laughs) Okay, so there's actually tons of mistakes around the story, but it's not the story itself. You know, it's the casting of the movie. It's you being a turf. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the biggest mistake is. Nazi Germany. Yeah. When I think about the story. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. The mistake is burning the records. <laughs> yeah. Of burning everything. the records of what's it called again? Of the uh, Germany's Institute for Sectional Research. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading about that. Terrible. Also, and then there's you said there's a famous episode of Transparent about it. And once again, another, where they burned down the, the Institute. Yeah. Another mistake is the casting of that show. Not yeah, not the obviously the it's such a huge opportunity like that show cast so many actual trans women, which I was know. amazing. But the main character was not only a cis dude, but a Alisa, can you bleep that out? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, also like a full blown creep 
allegedly. Yeah. I don't know. Is creep something you need to say allegedly about? That's no, not a real Trace, accusation. Trace Lissette, uh is the one of the ones who came out against him. Yeah, I but it's still her. it's still alleged. Yeah. Well, whatever. I mean, I'm just oh, saying. Really, Anya? It's, <laughs> I'm saying legally. Oh, you hate me too, Pamela. <laughs> yes. Oh, nice. I'm saying legally, if you're going to speak about an accusation, it is alleged, yeah. unless it's been like convicted in court. However, Jeffrey Tambor has us arrested. I don't think that the like calling somebody a creep needs to be alleged, right? You, something's yeah. just a creep. Someone's just a creep. Okay, yeah. great. Anyway, so um, that's another mistake. I really quickly before I forget, I just want to list my sources. So yes, I don't please. Get, um, sued. Um, Your alleged sources. My alleged sources on the life of the alleged Lily Eld, <laughs> <laughs> who allegedly was trans. Okay. Um, maybe she was just a flamboyant gay man. I'm so sick of it. Force femming everyone. Um, so one of the sources is by Niels Hoyer, Man into Woman, an authentic record of a change of sex. Um, which was published in 1933. And then the article that had most of the information was a Thought Co. article by Bill Lamb. Um, thank you for, for all of that info. Thanks for your hard work. Thanks for your hard work, Bill. Um, Bill's a chaser. All right, now I'm going <laughs> to... Every every cis male ally is a chaser. In my book, yeah, baby. Yeah, allegedly. Anyway. Allegedly, um, <laughs> allegedly your allies. <laughs> And allegedly, no, definitely a chaser, but allegedly an ally. Um, all right. So now I'm going to force you to relate it back to my deep dive. Oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm kidding. You don't have to. Um, no, I think that I can. Um, you know, much like Lily, much like you impulsively deciding to, because you were so unhappy with your surroundings, post that video <laughs> of that table and how it eventually led to you getting kind of fucked over um, out of your unemployment. I was choosing to do what I wanted with my body by taking that exactly. And Lily Eld made an impulsive decision to get a uterus and it kind of, you know, led to uh, her dying. So. Yeah, and also not getting unemployment. Not getting unemployment. <laughs> you definitely did not get unemployment. Unrelated, but <laughs> for sure didn't get any unemployment. Um, all right. I think that that'll do it. Um, please send us your mistakes at, at best mistakes pod at gmail.com. Um, and follow us at best mistakes on Instagram and Twitter. Um, you know, shout us out, give us a little shout out on your story if you're enjoying. And, um, well, Nika's back on social media, so I am back. I might stop again, though. Yeah, whatever. But if if you are still, when if this you comes are, out, follow me at Georgia Kildara. <laughs> um, wait, that's not her name. No. It's Karen Kildara. Right? Yeah, whatever. But follow me at either. <laughs> um, all right. Goodbye. Love you. We love you so much. Mm-hmm.